It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Hello, how are you this morning? Welcome to hour number two of Green and Growing right here on WSB. Glad you're listening, whether it is on 95.5 or on your iPhone or your smartphone's app, the free WSB radio app, or maybe streaming us on the web on WSBradio.com. You know, Facebook gives you a a fantastic breakdown of your followers to the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page. And there are people, there are plenty of people outside of Georgia who like and follow the page, and there are even people... Uh, that live in different countries, at least they say they do, according to Facebook data, that follow the page. So that's really cool. So you could be listening from New York right now. You could be listening from Ohio and Tennessee and South Carolina. And I really appreciate that. And I want you to call. I want you to call 404-872-0750. So in the last hour, I talked about snakes, and I'm more than happy. I welcome those calls. I don't uh, have a lot of knowledge on the venomous and the non-venomous, but I'm glad David from Tucker at least said, look, there's three major venomous ones we need to look out for. I certainly know copperheads is on the top of that list, um, but everything else, just let it be. You know, if you don't startle it, it won't startle you. Just let it slither on by and and do its thing. Um, But I had a follower on the Facebook page bring up the good point of, you know, the use of mothballs in the yard. And that is actually illegal. I knew it was frowned upon, but I did not know that it was illegal. But it is because it can leave toxins in the soil, uh, the wrong little rodent or pest or even one of our pets get a hold of it. And that's not going to be a good thing. So don't try the mothball thing at home um, as a deterrent to snakes. It's it's illegal and it's probably just not a good idea. But anything else that you have in mind. So it is not too late to plant your vegetable garden. I've heard from so many coworkers even that are just like, "Yeah, I'm too late. I missed I missed the window." And uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of bummed. But no, that is not the case. I wanted to let you know that if you are going to go to the nurseries this weekend or you're getting plants from other people, maybe you were like me and you got your seed started indoors a little too late, like you know, mid-March and to March, I was kind of scrambling. Uh, you still have those little tender plants that can be put outside. But thinking about lima beans, it's not too late to get those out. Corn, maybe you've already done one planting of corn, and you're certainly welcome to do another at this point. A lot of this is recommended from the Cooperative Extension, getting it done on or about before uh, June 1st, perhaps, is probably going to be the best thing for you. Okra. And uh, you're, you're not definitely not going to have time for this, but it's fun to start an okra plant from seed. They're almost like black little BBs, um, and you need to soak them in water first overnight to soften them up a little bit. But watching that start from seed is pretty fascinating, but you've still got time to plant an okra plant. Uh, pepper plants. And pepper plants are so cool because you'll let them go, and that's when they start to change color. Uh, I had heard so many new gardeners really think that, man, you know, I, I didn't think I bought a plant that's green peppers. I don't really like green bell peppers all that much. Or why is this hot pepper just staying green? Is it a jalapeno? What is this? Um, but the longer they stay on the plant, they are apt to change color into something else. So you may have a bell pepper plant and you have a couple of fruits that are green. Just let them hang out. Let them hang out, see what happens. They may start to turn red or yellow. And when you remove a pepper from the plant, it's very um, important that you're careful and actually go out there with sharp scissors or a sharp knife, and you're able to cut the stem that way to remove the fruit from the plant so you don't damage the rest of the plant. But yeah, not too late for pepper plants. You can do sweet potatoes as well. And I loved doing that a couple of years ago. 
I was given a purple sweet potato. The flesh is purple uh, from Josh Fooder, who's the extension agent in Cherokee County. And that was really fun to grow and really fun to harvest that. So there's a couple of things that you're not too late for. And I wanted to share some of the quandaries that other gardeners are having that they have shared with me on the Facebook page. Uh, they hit me up on Green and Growing WSB. And Tammy did that recently, too. And I, and I had a very similar question from someone else about their tomato leaves curling. But in this case, she had a red dogwood and planted it in March, late March, which is fine. That's getting into you know, the end of the time that it's really advisable to plant trees and shrubs. We want to do it generally in the fall because conditions are so, I don't want to say gentle, but it's not going to be heat stress when you're doing that. And even in late winter, early spring, good time to establish those things. But she planted it and then saw that the leaves are curling under just side to side. So she says it gets full morning sun. And we all know dogwood trees are understory trees. They do better when they're protected from something much, much taller up above, whether it's an oak or a pine or something like that. But full sun in the morning, so that's not bad at all when, when it's something facing in the east. But, you know, I just told her March was a good time to plant. You didn't make a mistake in that. Just make sure a newly established tree or shrub is receiving consistent moisture and what we mean by that, I say that a lot too. It's not just going out there with a watering can and just getting the soil a little bit wet and walking away, but doing that three or four times a week. I mean, that's not going to be enough. So when you water your lawn, when you water newly established things like that, really letting that water soak in and go deep down into the soil, because that's going to help all the roots establish to be a lot longer and deeper, the more water they can take in for long periods of time. So water more deeply than often, if that makes sense. And that's easier on you. If you water really deeply, you may only have to do it twice a week, uh, depending if we have no rain. And then mulch around it, not right up against the trunk, but mulch around everything is going to be a great idea. Around trees, around shrubs and garden beds, protecting some perennials, your vegetable garden, of course. So that's going to be probably problem solved for the dogwood that was just a little bit stressed. You know, we went from somewhat decent cool weather to, wow, 90 degrees happened overnight. Like So a lot of the plants, they're just kind of, you know, coiling up due to the heat. And then I had Talitha who reached out and sent a picture of two of her rose bushes side by side. There's one that's not growing as vigorously and as fast as the other one. And she's like, what's going on? They're in the same bed. They're right next to each other. In my case, I have two knockout roses side by side as well, but they are a good three to four feet apart. So they grow really large. And if I let them go crazy over the summer, they'll get five feet tall and pretty wide and start growing into each other, which isn't what you want. Um, but at least four feet apart is what I would recommend when they really get to their full size because they need that room for airflow, sunlight, and all that kind of thing. So I almost would tell Talitha, if one's just not performing as well as the other, the larger one could be shading the other one out. And I have that, see, just common sense kind of stuff. If you step back and really take a look and observe the environment to some of these plants you're wondering about, reason would tell you, you know, that it's not getting the sun because the bigger one's shading it out. I have the same thing with sweet shrub, calycanthus. Those things are like six or seven feet tall. They've gotten out of hand. But again, two side by side uh, up in between the house and a row of Leland cypress. So they're very limited in the sun they get because they're either being shaded on one side or the other by the house or by the Lelands. But one is super, super way taller than the other one. And I know that's exactly what it is. So I try to keep the tall one pruned down just a little bit. 
don't plant things too close together. So you definitely want to make sure when you're doing establishment planting that, yeah, it's going to look a little sparse when the plants are new, but you're giving them room to grow. In the long run, that's going to be really good. But also, um, I had someone months ago send a similar question about azaleas, too. And one was thriving, one was not. One was starting to get yellowing leaves and almost look kind of skeletal once the leaves had fallen off of it. And in the picture, I don't know how my eye saw this, but in the photograph, I noticed the downspout from the gutter was coming out right at the base of the one azalea that wasn't doing as well. And then the other one, maybe, you know, three, four feet to the left, closer to the front door, was doing well. So that could be a change, too. Yes, they have the same soil. They're in the same environment. They're in the same garden bed. But you got to kind of take a look at the soil, too. Is is the soil around one of the plants a little more low-lying than the other? Is water ponding there? No plant likes wet feet, unless you're looking at bog or woodland-type plants. But uh, make sure that water isn't standing and staying, saturating the roots of a plant. That's definitely going to slow the growth as well. So that's just something to think about. 404-872-0750. And in talking about uh, not being too late to plant some things, hopefully you do have your tomatoes, you do have your squash and all of that planted, your zucchini plants, but a lot of you are going to encounter blossom end rot. And I know I'm going to see pictures of that. So blossom end rot is the end of the fruit where the blossom was. When you see those pretty little yellow flowers, whether it's on your zucchini right now or your tomato, I bet you have a lot of yellow flowers, right? But then the flower grows out and the fruit is growing between the stem of the plant and where that flower was. So that's where your tomato is going to be. That's where your zucchini or squash is going to be. And the end of it, where the blossom was, is starting to turn brown and look rotted almost. And if left to its own devices for a longer period of time, it's going to kind of get hardened and calloused. And that brown part of the fruit, it's not going to be edible. The rest of the the piece of fruit is pretty much going to be a goner. But the good news about blossom end rot is oftentimes it's going to happen to the first few fruits that come on the plant. And if you can just remove them, I know it's devastating, but you're not going to be able to save it. And it's going to look ugly. You don't want to eat a tomato that's half brown anyways. So once you remove that fruit from the plant, you're allowing energy to go back to the plant to keep making other ones. And odds are the other ones are going to push through and they're going to be okay. But I remember Walter taking so many calls on blossom end rot. And back in the day, it was thought that it was a lack of calcium. Maybe the soil was deficient in calcium and, you know, we advise people Epsom salts and all this kind of thing. Well, come to find out, it's actually the other way around. Blossom end rot causes a calcium deficiency in the fruit. So calcium's not the problem. But what is with blossom end rot, one of the easiest things that we can control is consistent moisture to the plant, right? We're, we're under almost kind of drought conditions. I'm not calling it a drought yet, but it has been abnormally dry, as Christine Edwards has said. So you're out there a little more often with your hose, with your watering can, trying to make sure you're doing everything you can that these new plants in the garden don't die. But regular moisture is really, really important. Again, like I was talking about with that dogwood trying to get established, watering more deeply 
less often. And mulch is going to help that too. Mulch not only keeps the weeds at bay, but it helps hold the moisture in the soil. So you're really going to water with the hose at the base of the plant or with the watering can. Make sure it puddles a little bit. And then you know that's enough moisture in the soil that's really going to be able to feed that plant and give it the moisture it needs. So when you're consistent with your watering routine, that's really going to help prevent blossom end rot. And also drought is going to bring it on too. It's just going to happen. That's one of those things you try to control what you can. 404-872-0750. Your calls when we return to Green and Growing on WSB. talked a little bit about perennials in the garden, whether it's hosta or a stilby or canna lilies or things like that. And I can't wait. In just about an hour from now, we'll be joined by Allison Smith from the East Cobb Pike Nurseries location to talk about easy care perennials. And man, you can still plant those and get months of enjoyment now before the fall and the winter time. And they're going to come back year after year. So you don't, you don't want to miss that. Some really good, colorful suggestions from Pike Nursery about easy care perennials. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right. Number one, you'll want to walk around the garden. Check the leaves on your azaleas and your camellias in leaf gall. What What is that, you might ask? And heck, I even had someone submit a picture of leaf gall on oak leaves. So the leaf may look a little swollen if it's a smaller leaf. Uh, it may be discolored from the rest. But there's going to be a white to green growth, almost a bump on the leaf. And you're going to want to prune it out and dispose of it. It's a wasp that builds a little thing in the leaf and all that kind of thing. Um, and it's just probably not good. It's not going to be anything that stays with the plant year after year, even season to season, but just something to be on the lookout for. It's unsightly and, and can certainly do a little bit of damage for that season. Number two, be on the lookout for snakes. In Georgia, it is illegal to kill any non-venomous snake. And interesting about king snakes, not only do they eat small animals like mice and rats, things you may not want, or even lizards and frogs, poor little guys, but they eat other snakes and they eat the venomous copperheads. So that's kind of reassuring. And number three, if you're finding two-inch holes in the yard, like I did recently, I did a little bit of research, and that could be squirrels or chipmunks. Now, in my case, I know it's chipmunks. I've seen them come and go through those holes. Uh, but squirrels, you know, thinking about that, you don't want them chewing on things. They chew on all kinds of things. They'll chew on plastic. They'll chew on wood. They can be pretty destructive little guys. Uh, if you want to keep them out of garden containers, though, if they're digging, I think this time of year they're really foraging for acorns that they buried uh, earlier in the year at the end of last year. So they may be starting to dig in places you don't want them to. But put red pepper flakes on the top of the soil in your garden containers. Yeah, you're going to have to keep reapplying it. It may or may not work for you. Some people swear by it, but that'll at least deter them a little bit. Uh, people have suggested putting pine cones or the sweet gum balls out because they're prickly and the little squirrels aren't going to like digging past that. 404-872-0750. Have Ted from Covington calling about elephant ears. Hey there. Good morning. Good morning. Actually, my question or, well, actually, my question is, what is the pros and cons of using 10-10-10 fertilizer on elephant ears, or what should I use? You know, I, I don't think there's a con, really. Um, the only thing, my elephant ears in particular, 
I've never really had to fertilize them, and they do great year after year. Um, if we can get past like a little uh, roller bug, you know, as they start to, as the leaves are rolled up real tight and they start to unfurl, you may have to get past that stage. But once they're leafy and beautiful, I have not had to do that. But I remember you reached out to me on the Facebook page about this. And I would say go for it if you feel like, you know, they, they need that little extra boost. Absolutely. Okay, great, great. And uh, enjoy your show, and thanks for taking my call. Well, yeah, I'm glad you called, and I'm really glad you weigh in on the Facebook page, too, Ted. That's, you know, helpful to me and helpful to other people, so keep doing it. Yes, I, I really enjoy your Facebook page. Thank you. Now, do you, with the elephant ears, do you um, ever, you know, divide them up every few years, or do you just have them full in the way you want them? How do you handle that? Well, the way I handle it is... Uh, Truthfully, I just had them for like three years, okay? okay? But uh, to answer your question, uh, last fall, I couldn't get my five-gallon bucket with the mulch and this, that, and, and the other, you know, over them. So I did dig up three and save the bulbs. Yeah. And uh, I planned them, and they were a little slow. And I was almost ready to give up on them, or especially <laughs> one, but I didn't. I just kept putting water on it. Yeah, know? I do remember hearing from you last year. And see, just don't give up. You th- you think you're going to give up on a plant, and it does not give up on you. Ted, we got to run, but I'm glad you called. I'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for following up. We'll be right back after the news. It's Green and Growing on WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. It's going to be a balmy day out there and uh, the chance for rain if we could get just a little bit starting today, tomorrow, and into the beginning of the work week. That's going to be a good thing. It may hold you back a little bit. I know you've got some graduation parties and Memorial Day parties, maybe a week early that you're starting in on, but uh, pray for rain because we certainly need it. So you have heard uh, meteorologist Christina Edwards this entire week on with various uh, news reporters and Scott Slade during Atlanta's Morning News. Talk about this. Take a listen. You know, it's been two weeks since we've had any significant rain, and Christina says that is a concern. North Georgia, including much of Metro Atlanta, is now under the D0 designation, which is known as abnormally dry conditions. This is one level below the moderate drought. According to the United States Drought Monitor, 73% of Georgia is currently experiencing abnormally dry conditions. So drought response levels, as she mentioned, D0, just abnormally dry. But that could well be on its way to drought response level 1, 2, 3, with three being the most severe. But for level two, for example, which could be where we're headed, not saying we're in a drought yet, uh, general outdoor watering is limited to two days a week on that odd even schedule, you know, depending on your mailbox number. If you're, you know, 48, you're on the even schedule. If you're on 3705, you're on the odd schedule. And always recommended, though, uh, abnormally dry conditions, drought conditions, nevertheless, watering between 4 p.m. and 10 a.m., and it used to be that, you know, in the in the cooler months, you wouldn't want to water at night 
because when you did, the grasses and the plants didn't have a chance to dry out overnight. So that would introduce disease and fungus perhaps with it staying wet in those dark overnight hours. But now it is so warm that even in the overnights, water is going to have a chance to evaporate and dry out on plants and lawns and things like that. So still a good idea to be watering between 4 p.m. and 10 a.m. And Kirk Mellish saying, too, rainfall deficit for the past 30 days is negative 2 to negative 3 inches, only around 40% of normal for most of the metro Atlanta area. And yet evaporation rates from the soil for the next couple of days are expected to be just under half an inch. So a lot of that water immediately goes away. He says definitely need to get a good thunderstorm by Sunday. And you can check out uh, meteorologist Christina Edwards' blog as well at wsbradio.com. The temperature outlook for the summer trending slightly hotter than average this summer. And due to that drier than average outlook, she said, I'm also expecting temperatures to be hotter than average for Metro Atlanta this entire summer. And as the ground soils dry out, soil temperatures quickly heat up. And as a result, air temperatures above ground, they also increase, just leading to all of that hotter than average conditions. The hottest temperature, she says, reached in Atlanta is 106 degrees, and that occurred back in June of 2012. And guess what was in place at that time? Yeah, La Nina, and that is part of the the big picture thing here with what we're expecting and experiencing with these abnormally dry conditions at this point. So on my Facebook page, uh, I did post that, you know, expecting a drier than normal summer, just uh, sharing Christina's blog there for the summer 2022 outlook. And it wouldn't hurt to start conserving water. As gardeners, we want to be smart about that and conscious about that. So uh, maybe investing in rain barrels. You know, that's not a bad idea where you're taking that water and using it at a later time when we do get some rain. Hopefully you've maybe been storing some in those rain barrels. Watering cans set out in the open. That way they're at least getting a little bit of the moisture to capture some raindrops. Uh, capture and using cooling system condate, con, uh, condensate. When I'm sitting on my deck, I can hear the AC unit, you know, shutting off and starting back up and shutting off. And I can hear that water running. And right now that pipe has just led to a drain that goes out the back of the, the backyard. But I may be tempted to kind of redirect that again into a rain barrel, into a watering can, something like that. Another possibility divert downspouts closer to nearby gardens and beds. Let that do the watering for you, but be be warned that, again, we don't want something to just stay really, really soggy, depending on what that plant is, right at the base of a downspout. We don't want it to drown, right? And just be aware of your county's watering restrictions, too, if and when that becomes the case. You're going to want to really be smart about it. Uh, and Mary Kay Woodworth, thankfully, of the Georgia Urban Ag Council, brought this site to my attention, georgiawatersmart.com, georgiawatersmart.com, all of the regulations and things set forth by the EPD, the Environmental Protection Division, and letting us know if we do get into those res- drought response levels of one, two, or three, uh, maybe creeping up to just one, being the least severe, but just something to think about. If you have clever ways of keeping water or conserving water, or being smart about how you garden and the things that you plant, that could dry out a little bit and still do okay, give me a call, 404-872-0750. One thing that I have noticed can tolerate being dry for a long period of time is hostas. Hostas don't seem to be very phased by the dry weather, um, so that could be 
definitely, you know, something to think about. And planting things in the right place, too. A plant that's really going to be stressed in full sun or a lot of heat, uh, wanting to put that in the right place and give it the best chance to be able to at least survive and not just be so stressed by the heat. Hydrangeas, that's one of the things right now that are starting to droop and really look pitiful. And so many different varieties of them, they prefer full to partial shade. You know, they really need kind of an understory plant, again, that really need a lot of shade from the taller trees. But you're thinking mop head, you know, they have not bloomed yet, but full to partial shade, watering at the base of the plant when you do need to water those. Uh, Lace cap as well, partial shade, uh, similar to mop heads, but they've, you know, instead of the round flower clusters, the flower heads look like flat caps with frilly edges. But again, they're going to be a little bit stressed. So, And one that tolerates full shade that a lot of you have success with, you know, in the wood lines and things like that of your lawns, or even you may see them at the edges of golf courses, oak leaf hydrangea. Uh, the leaves look very similar to leaves on an oak tree. Cone-shaped flower heads. They're typically white when they bloom this time of year and into summer. But partial shade can tolerate full shade. So different varieties that you may want to think about there. And paniculata or the panicle, they have cone-shaped flowers as well. And those you could have cut back in March all the way. The panicle hydrangeas you could cut all the way back, and they're going to put on new growth and flower on that new growth. And they're really lush right now, putting on all the leaves, not quite the flowers yet. But that, that's the the one kind of one-off of a hydrangea. The panicle really prefers full to partial sun. So that's one that for me, it, it is just beat down with afternoon sun, and it's not really showing any stress yet. The leaves aren't drooping or anything like that. And then another one that we think of is the smooth hydrangea or Annabelle arborescence, three different kind of ways to refer to it, bearing a mixture of tiny fertile florets and then more showy, almost snowball-looking white balls, gosh, that could be very, very large across. But thinking about those, too, well-drained soil for all of these that can take a lot of sun as well. The smooth or Annabelle hydrangea, full sun to partial shade. It does just fine. Um, had a call a little bit ago, but he had to run. I think it was Bradley calling about azalea maintenance. I don't know how specific his question was about azaleas. But uh, yeah, now is the time to start thinking about trimming some of those back, tidying them up, shaping them up the way you want now that the blooms have expired. You may still have some, depending on the variety, even encores, you know, are going to continue to bloom for you. Um, But I've got the small little mounding types that have the tiny green leaves. I've got every variety of azalea in my yard. And so making sure that this is the time to prune. And the reason you want to prune those now, and rhododendrons too, same family, uh, those are mostly finished up blooming. So those are the things, the spring blooming plants like that, that you want to prune right after they bloom. Because believe it or not, they take eight or nine months to set buds, hold on to the buds through the fall and the winter, and store up all that energy year round to then put out you know, their blooms in the spring and give us the show that we come to expect in late March and April. So the sooner you get to those after they're finished blooming, the better, because that way you're not cutting off what it's trying to do is, you know, put on the new buds. So get to those sharp pruners. If you want to make it a little more bushy, if you have an azalea that's looking kind of scraggly or kind of leggy, what you want to do is trim some branches out all the way down to the base. Follow a stem or a branch, go all the way down as deep into the plant as you can go 
and cut it there because then new growth is going to come from that point and it's going to help it fill in. That's where the leaves are going to be coming from the center of the plant and it's going to start to fill in. And you can also, you know, go back inside the bush just a little ways, cut at a at a leaflet or cut at a, a joint in the branch, you know, where a new branch is coming out. But that'll kind of help shape it up as well and make sure the growth all stays somewhat regulated and somewhat normalized. 404-872-0750. A few minutes here before we have to go to break again. Mike and McDonough, hey there. Good morning. How are you, Ashley? Disc golf driver. What's going on with you today? I call you that because it's your traffic trooper name. You report traffic incidents around Metro Atlanta to our traffic team, and we're grateful to that. (laughs) Well, um, I have a question for you. I was wondering to see if you could uh, bail me out here. Mm -hmm. I have a hibiscus. I actually have two of them, and Mm -hmm. I've sprayed Roundup on some Bermuda grass that's within a foot of it. And now the plant, instead of opening up to a big, leafy, beautiful, you know, leaf there, it's kind of curled up like a clenched fist, and it's hard. And I'm, My question is, should I just keep kind of flushing the soil, or should I cut the plant back, as you were just describing? And is it a true hibiscus, or is it a rose of Sharon? I mean, they're all kind of in the same family, but is it like a hibiscus, like a tree variety? Um, it's kind of a bush. Okay. One's a dinner plate hibiscus, Ooh. and the other one's uh, just a pink Nice. Okay. At this point, how long ago did you spray the Roundup? It's been about three weeks. Okay. So there's only one leaf. There's only one spot that really the leaf's opened up on. Yeah. So at this point, continuing to water the soil and flush it out, as you said, it's not going to do a lot of good because what Roundup has already been absorbed into the plant is already there. Um, So it's kind of wait and see at this point. There's really no way to go back and undo roundup damage you just really have to keep an eye on the plant and do make sure it's just getting consistent moisture so it doesn't have any more stress not to wash the roundup out of the soil so to speak but consistent moisture and kind of babying it in that regard just making sure no more stressors are added to it you know being on the lookout for any kind of pest or anything that it's really going to stress it out um if you see the damage i mean it's already gone up through the system of the plant so if you see the damage and it's visible there in a cluster of leaves or something it wouldn't hurt to just go ahead and prune those parts out and allow for new fresh growth to to make its way in that spot but i wouldn't call it a goner i think you're very smart to kind of be attentive to how it's reacting and what it's already doing but uh, just mm-hmm. keep it happy, keep it consistently watered, especially now, no extra stressors, and keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> okay, Ashley, thank you so much. I'll do that. Thanks, Mike. Good to hear from you. you. Have a great day. You too. And I know Mike's an experienced gardener, and a lot of you are too, and sometimes we just have those, oops, oh gosh, why did I do that kind of moments. I had that recently with a white ginger lily that's growing back in my yard, and this is only its second year, and I'm so excited about them coming back, growing upright, really tall and beautiful, like canna lilies in that upright growth, but then they're going to have the big, beautiful, white, just very fragrant flowers at the top. But yeah, I mean, as they were coming up out of the ground, kind of forgot they were there, ran the lawnmower over one of them and just went, oh, God, I knew better. Why did I not put stakes or ribbon or something around that little area? So we all make mistakes, but at least the quicker you get to it and the more attentive you are to the plant, a lot of times just TLC can help it recover. Robin and Jonesboro will be up in just a minute with a question about sod. Why is it turning brown? We'll get to the bottom of that. 404-872-0750. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB.
And the weather update there brought to you by Finley Roofing, 404-872-0750. Up next, Robin calling from Jonesboro. Hey there, Robin. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good to um, hear from you again. Oh, yes, yes. Um, i like to have a question, maybe two. The okay. first one, me and my wife just got back from vacation. We had had some side put down. And, of course, nobody was here to water it. Uh-oh. And the little, the little patches, what they put in, and it's zosia. It's, it's totally brown now. Okay. And do you and know how quickly after it was delivered and brought to your home it was laid? Was it laid at the same time? Yes, it was laid at the same time. Okay, that's good. Because word to the wise, number one, for anybody getting sod delivered, it's really mm-hmm. recommended that you lay it within 24 hours of it being delivered because as it's on those pallets, all that heat is just contained. So if you can't get to it right away in that same day or the next day, it's advisable to just lay it out anywhere on the driveway or anywhere where you can just keep it consistently moist and water it with a hose. So that's good. The only other thing, Robin, is I think you may have nailed it. If no one was there to water it, that beginning watering stage is so, so important to help those roots comfortably, you know, establish and and meet the soil and get into the soil. So watering is, is the most important right at the beginning rather than any other time and watering really deeply to help those roots establish. So I'm afraid it might be, you know, the root system just really didn't get to pick up or establish because of a lack of water. Is there anything I can put on it to bring it back green or You know, fertilizer only helps when something is in active growth and it's already green. So unfortunately, you can't really bring anything back. But keep an eye out on it. I mean, it may not be completely dead. If there is a root system there and it has Mm -hmm. grown into the soil and it's really trying to establish, go ahead and do keep watering and just carry on as you would. And keep your fingers crossed that you're going to get some green up. And this is a good time of year to do sod. It's not done at the wrong time. You know, May, June, July for those warm season grasses like zoysia, like you mentioned. Um, And I do want to get your second question. It's going to have to wait till after the news, though. So hang tight there and more calls when we return to Green and Growing on WSB.